Over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Well, we jumped through quite a bit of phone calls and homeowner inquiries and questions last hour, and we're here again this hour to do exactly the same thing. If in this new year you're thinking about trying to tackle a project, give us a ring. Let's talk about it. Let us put our 45 years of Arizona home building and remodeling experience to work for you and see if there isn't something we can't give you in the way of a tip or a trick, a particular product name or a particular tool to use to make it easier to get the job done if it's something you're trying to tackle yourself. You'd give us a ring at one 767 And I'd like to take a minute and just recognize one of our Rosie certified partners down in Tucson, Martin Lopez, owner of Omni Pool Builders and Design. He has been appointed and elected the new president of the Pool and Hot Tub Alliance Southern Arizona chapter. Term starts January 1st. So congratulations Martin, great guy, runs a runs a fantastic pool operating company there, Omni Pool Builders and Design. Word has it they're very busy. <laughs> word has I, it word has it everybody's see, very busy. If there's a contractor that's not busy, uh, he's just not trying. Good. You don't have to try to be busy right now. Everybody's busy. Well, last week we broadcast on Christmas Day, and we were talking a little bit or the, the topic came up, well, what are we going to do with Christmas trees? And a question was asked about, hey, uh, does Game and Fish still take the Christmas trees? And I said, no, they quit doing that. Well, someone was listening, and they busted my chops. So we're, we're going to take the opportunity to bring in Mr. David Weedman, the Aquatic Habitat Program Manager for Arizona Game and Fish, and talk about what you you are actually at a live event this very morning, correct? That's correct, Rosie. I'm out here at Swirl Lake right now at the moment at Butcher Jones Beach. We've got, I can see, about 35 or 40 volunteers here helping us put some Christmas trees into the lake to improve the fish habitat here at Swirl. So how... How did y'all go about rounding up the Christmas trees? Are this just Christmas trees from employees in the agency? No, we uh, contacted the city of Mesa. They're one of the cities closest to Suara Lake and got permission from them to collect trees from their local drop-off locations where city residents can take their used Christmas trees, drop them off. And we collected them from Mesa and brought them to our office, stored them there for a week or two, and are now transporting them out to Saguaro with several tons of cinder block to tie to them and sink them down into Sora Lake so the, the fish can hang around and do their fish thing. Now, this was something I remember y'all doing for a long, long time, and then I, I thought it came, I, then I thought it got replaced by more sophisticated PVC flex tubing, more, more sophisticated uh, fish habitat structures. Yeah, you're right. We did. Christmas trees as an agency for a lot of years in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I don't know exactly when that kind of ended, probably around the late 90s. Didn't do much that I'm aware of throughout the 2000s or 2010s. We started doing it again in 2020 at Bartlett Lake. Uh, we put in a whole bunch of trees there and then did Saguaro Lake uh, 
practice last year, and we're doing some more Thor Lake this year because it's close to Phoenix. It's easy to get to and quick to get volunteers out here. Um, but you're right, we are. We also do some plastic structures called Georgia Cubes. We've been doing those for about five or six years, starting in Roosevelt Lake. Uh, but, you know, we're pretty innovative. We take advantage of resources where we can find them, especially when we can get them donated to us or get them for free to make fish habitat. And uh, Christmas trees seemed like an obvious opportunity for us. And, and using city drop-off locations and donated trees from Home Depot and Lowe's that don't sell, uh, we've got some trees from them as well. Um, I mean, can you? Know, you... We, we've got close to a thousand trees. Right, okay, right now. I, I was going to ask you. I mean, are we talking twenty trees? Are we talking a hundred trees? Are you you're planting a well, not planting, but you're sinking a thousand Christmas trees? And do you break that down into quadrants, or is it going to one massive uh, submerged island? We did a sonar survey on the lake to find areas that were at the appropriate depth, depth about twenty to twenty-five feet, where it's fairly flat. And there were no, there was no structure on the bottom. You know, even using sonar, you can see rocks and and trees and other vertical structures sticking up off the bottom. We found areas where there wasn't much, and we wanted to improve those areas. And so there are 12 sites at the lake. We're putting all these trees and the Georgia cubes that we've built in the past are at these same 12 locations, and we go to that GPS coordinate and just kind of drop these structures around them within 150, 200 feet of that GPS point, and we make that information available. Folks can look up on the maps. That was my, that was my next question. Do I have to volunteer to help you to get the GPS? But you publish those <laughs> GPS coordinates. We do. If if one were to just Google something like Saguaro Lake Fish Habitat or Bartlett Lake or Roosevelt Lake Fish Habitat, hopefully it's the top or the top three resp- uh, uh, replies you'll get, answers you'll get, and, and find them. You can also go to the Game of Fish website and look up Fish Habitat. Is there a particular fish that is more inclined to be found in these habitats than another? There's a, a family of fish called centrarchids. They're the largemouth bass, the smallmouth bass, the bluegill, the crappie. They're mostly structure-loving fish. They like to hang around stuff. And those are the fish that we are trying to improve the habitat for to provide uh, locations where they can, can hide the structure that serves as ambush uh, habitat so they can hide and ambush their prey. It also serves as a forage base for small fish to feed, which, of course, provides the, the food that the big fish are going to hang around and eat. So, you know, it kind of starts from the bottom up, growing paraphyton on the trees, and then little fish coming and eating paraphyton, and big fish come to eat the little fish. Well, thanks a million for the volunteers you've got out there at Butcher Jones just yet today. Now, y'all will be out there for the morning, or is this an all-day event? Um. All, all day up until about 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock okay. or until we run out of the cinder block we've got on hand. Uh, you know, we, we had, like I said, several tons worth of block here <laughs> that we're tying to the trees to sink these trees. And if you can imagine, a dry Christmas tree floats pretty well by itself. Yes, so it takes yeah. a lot of weight to, to put it on the bottom. Now, so y'all regularly have activities. You're looking for volunteers who are interested in learning something about the Arizona outdoors or the Arizona wildlife? Or how could someone interested and having the time to want to volunteer with y'all, how would they get involved with y'all? We have, the Game Fish Department put together a new volunteer portal or a volunteer app that we as staff can log into, create an opportunity. For example, I would would, uh, describe this activity provide the dates and the times, uh, 
and put it into this portal, this app. Public can go to our portal. They create a personal profile. They choose which different types of fields or areas or you know geographic areas or biological areas. Say they're interested in big game drinkers or water catchments. You know they can choose that as as a as a interest, or they can choose fish habitat as interest. And then we as staff, as we create these opportunities, they will send out a notice or an email to anybody who's identified that as an area of interest. It will notify them that there's an opportunity coming up so they can go back in, register for the opportunity. Now they know the date, the time. We know who they are. They know who we are. We can communicate through this portal via email, and it helps us plan uh, workload and, and staffing for these volunteer opportunities. And we love using volunteers because, you know, they're free. We don't have to spend our, our uh, licensed dollars to get people out to do the work. If we can get volunteers to help us, they have an opportunity to interact with us. They have an opportunity to interact with the wildlife. Uh, they get to help us save money and do good things for our, our wildlife around the state. So that's a volunteer portal you've built at azgfd.gov? That's correct. I, I'm going to give you the website, and I think I got it right. But if I don't, if somebody were to Google Arizona Volunteer App or Arizona Volunteer Portal, I believe it's uh, www.volunteer.azgfd.gov. Oh, I so think volunteer. Th- Go ahead. I think that's brilliant. I mean, I just speaking from memory, you've got the black-footed ferret program up north. You've You've got uh, bob wire fence removal from some of the grasslands up on Anderson Mesa. You've got this fish mm-hmm. habitat thing. I mean, and there's a, there's actually bat counting evenings you can go on, as I recall. Yep, bat counting evenings. Uh, some some bird walks where we do uh, bird counts, like the Christmas bird count, or other opportunities to to help us go out and identify birds different parts around the state. You know, I, I don't even know how many different types of opportunities yeah. you might come up with to put in that portal. It's, it's, I think it's great. It is great. Okay. Well, and rumor, rumor has it uh, you're, you're um, getting interested in eating more crawfish. Yeah, you know, I'm an Arizona native. I didn't grow up eating, eating crawfish. <laughs> uh, I know we have a bunch of them all over the state. They cause a lot of problems. Crawfish are not native to Arizona. But they've been introduced to a lot of our lakes, and there's various crawfish festivals around the state that I'm aware of, and I've never been to one. But uh, my wife is from Louisiana, uh, married her, uh, met her 10 years ago, married her. We've been back to Louisiana to crawfish festivals. That's a long way to go to eat crawdads. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking for one around Arizona, looking for a good one. Well, we, we, we held several and had a lot of good, good fun, that's for sure. I can remember Larry Riley from Arizona Game and Fish deliberately kept me from getting arrested when we did the first one at Willow Springs Lake and Tonto National Forest said, what are you doing with all these people up here? They're parked on the freeway. You've got no J. Johns, no dumpsters. What are you doing? <laughs> Thank goodness Larry was there to take care of it. <laughs> yeah, Larry was a good guy. I worked for Larry for years. Oh. I've known him for all of my 30 years for the department. Uh, yeah, I'm glad he, he kept you out of trouble. Oh, man, he, he bailed me out before I had to get toted away. Mr. David Weedman, and uh, the title is specifically Aquatic Habitat Program Manager out at Saguaro Lake today with volunteers planting about a 1,000 Christmas trees for the fish habitat. Just one volunteer opportunity you might consider get to Arizona Game and Fish and take a look at their volunteer 
portal. David, good luck on getting all those trees buried today or sunk today. Well, thank you, sir. We'll need some luck. Uh, it's going well so far. A little, little cool and cloudy, but we're enjoying it. All right. Hey, great. Thanks a million, man. You tell all your friends. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you to join the conversation. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse dot com if you need to snap a picture uh, to help aid your question on whatever project you're working on. You can send that to info at rosieonthehouse dot com. And we did clear the lines while I was on the phone with Game and Fish. So the lines are open. There'll be no holding. If you want to give us a ring, we'll be able to take your question quickly. Miss Jennifer. Hey, everybody's kept me busy this morning. I know. That's fun. You, I love you, getting to talk you, to you've the been homeowners. Hop, you've been hopping back there behind the glass. That's for sure. You know, you asked a specific question. What are you doing in the way of remodel? And I, I bet 99% of those calls were on that topic. Everybody has projects they want to get done. It's, it's coming. Hey, I, you know what? I do, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Can I get on the waiting list? I know. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we're talking. That was just fun in you. We're talking about um, being a good neighbor, you know, and that's really important. And everything you do for a neighbor counts as being a good neighbor. But if you want to go to the next level, a lot of people are looking for places to volunteer. Um, you know, you see volunteers of all ages, but it tends to be something that people who retire really desire to do. Um, I have seen people wait too long to get in, to, to look for a place to volunteer, and then it's really hard to fit in. Um, but I had some, I did some research, you know, and just in covering the living in, uh, what is it, Gary? A life worth living in place? Life yes. worth living in place. Um, it's just amazing to me how many resources there are available and how many people donate so much of their time and energy to others. I mean, it's, 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 it's really humbling. You know, you have in St. Vincent de Paul, like we did a couple weeks ago, and the amount of man hours and resources and services they provide, it's, just, it's truly heartwarming. But as far as anybody wanting to get involved in volunteering, I did come across a couple of things that would be helpful. Um, and if you're getting ready to volunteer, you know, be realistic. <laughs> How much time do I really have to invest? Um, and part of that is maybe starting with vetting who you, you might want to work for, you know, make sure that I, they're... I think that's really critical. Yeah, that, if that website, charitynavigator.org, helps you to look through a foundation and see how they spend their money and how you know how much um, how responsible they are how true to their mission they are so I think that's a really great place to start make sure you're volunteering with someone who's really delivering what they promise um, what's that website again charitynavigator.org it's cool it's great so whether you're wanting to donate time or money that's a great place to start um, another thing would be don't overcommit you know um, someone who's explaining it to you they may have a different expectation or idea. So um, just start small, get in there, get to know people, see how they like it. Um, do what you're good at. You know, you have the most to offer with what you already know. If you don't have to be trained, um, you know, my, my dad is great at accounting. He's done a lot of things to help others in that area. So stick it with something you know. And so that's, that's just a good way to get started. 
or stick with something you might want to learn. Yeah, I especially mean, as a younger person, I think that's a great a, idea. Absolutely. Yeah, like Habitat? Like Habitat for Humanity. I mean, you don't need to know how to frame a wall or run electrical wire or hang sheetrock or a door or baseboard or shelving to volunteer at Habitat. They'll not only teach you how to do it and give you a sense of real accomplishment, at the end of the day, you can actually see what you put up with your own two hands, and it'll be something you'll be able to use the rest of your life. So Habitat for Humanity, do what you're good at, or yeah. consider doing something you might like to learn. Or maybe it's a combination. I was talking to the officer in Surprise, who's ahead of all these um, volunteer things, and he um, he has a thing called Citizen Patrol Program. So you, these people get to learn how to do policing as as older people, and they they get the uniform, they get the car, and they do yeah. some of the really basic things. So if that's something you felt like you missed out on and you would have liked to have been part of, that's one option. Um, in some of the communities that have the spring training, there's just fun things you can do to volunteer, you know, help with the spring training stuff. And I think it's really good to get involved with someone who's very established because there's so many things, like, for instance, St. Vincent or Habitat. There's stores to run. There's... Um, you know, meals to fix. Oh, what, and meals to whatever, deliver. Whatever yeah. you love doing, you can find a place to volunteer. And I wanted to mention Duet Arizona as well. We had them on a while back, and they they have 400 volunteers they run. They need more volunteers. They they are, um, they give all kinds of support to the elderly, whether they're alone and just need errands. It doesn't have to be real technical. You can help somebody learn to use a computer, somebody learn to do a Zoom meeting for their doctor appointment, and they even have a support program for parent, grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. Duet. D-U-E-T. Duetaz.org. Yeah. Pretty. I was astonished at their history and how many people they've been involved with for as long as they've been. That's 40 years. 40 years. It's awesome. And I had asked her, you know, they do a background check. I said, have you ever had any trouble? You know, because they'll take people to the store or whatever, so money can be involved in a small way. But um, she said they have never had a trouble. That's awesome. Had a problem. They vet them really well. Okay. Charitynavigator.org. Org would be a place to start vetting where you might want to spend some of your time. We're here talking about volunteering because we're trying to lay out the platform of good neighborliness, if there's such a word as neighborliness. But we know we there have a is lot. Now. We have a new we have new people coming in all the time. Arizona isn't going to quit growing. The whole month of January, we're talking about learning to be a good neighbor and we're talking about your house if you'd like to give us a call one 767 4348 it's my neighbor why don't you go say hi this would be the perfect time because you could go say hi to him too yeah but he's your neighbor well no he's your neighbor as well you share a property line with him. He's yeah, here, like we're all on the same block, so I mean, you could go too. Now look, he's going into go now because if well, there now you've blown it, haven't you? No, I didn't blow it. He, went, he went into his house. Chicken. I'm not chicken because he went into his house. And welcome back to Rosie on the House. Where we've been talking the last half hour about uh, volunteer opportunities you might uh, consider getting involved with. So we hope we planted a few ideas there for you to consider. We do have a caller waiting online to uh, ask a question about their house. Let's see if we can bring them into the conversation. It's what we're here for, 
to answer your questions, your calls, and talk to you about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Good morning. It's Tom. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I have a question on roofing. I have a new manufactured home that's still under warranty, and I was up on the roof here about a month ago, and I see a whole bunch of nails not covered up by shingles. So I call them about it and let them know, and they say, well, our approved method is just doing a white asphalt emulsion paint over the nail heads. And I'm going, no, not going to work. I don't want my house looking like a polka dot already. So what kind of, what can I do about it to get them to me? It's going to be replacing shingles and starting over. Okay. Well, I would hate to have bought a brand new unit, walked up on the roof and seen 30 or 40 exposed nails. I'm like you, that, that doesn't seem right. And, Patching it with a little elastomeric paint is going to be a, a Band-Aid at best. It's a good Band-Aid, but it's just a Band-Aid. I, whenever I've got a grievance with a, a contractor, service provider, home builder, I encourage homeowners, put it in writing and submit it with a certified letter uh, making someone sign for it. And just let them know exactly how you feel about it i maybe even you know, you might include a picture or two you know if it were if it were two or three nail heads that were just barely exposed below the edge of a shingle well you know i might be a little gentler with them but boy if you've got that many uh i i would push it and i would push it in writing and see how far you could get and i wouldn't stop with the first no i'd push and and push as hard as you might need to because elastomeric paint on top of a roofing nail head is really just a patch. Yeah, and it, it, it sounds like it was just kind of a blow-and-go job. There shouldn't I don't be know. They, they, any reason to, to have exposed nails. They, they, just, they just weren't – they were maybe cheating on some of the coverage or something. But, uh, but And that's something, – Something went wrong. Yeah, but uh, we mentioned it in passing, but um, it came up – because Tom was mentioning it was a manufactured home, did you see that the they're moving a manufactured home business to uh, the Navajo Nation? They had shut down the coal uh, plant up there. That was about 700 jobs. Well, that fit the need for um, Zinni Home, which is they're specializing in manufacturing tiny homes um, in the two, 320 to 640 square feet foot range that's tiny and if if you want to you know find something positive about uh the supply chain issue originally they were going to be making these in china and shipping them over but shipping costs went from four thousand to forty thousand forty thousand so and now it made it cheaper for them to go open this tiny home manufacturing plant on the Navajo Nation. They had the people that used to work at the coal plant that needed jobs. They needed a place to manufacture these, and it all married together. So that, you know. That's about as happy an ending as you can be, yeah. as long as as long as they still, I, I'm sure they still got enough electricity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. So I, I liked that, you know. It, it, one more thing now made in America that's not made out of the country. That's that's a good, that's a win at the end. I love it. I love it. 
I love to see that building going to use. It, that, that's a that's a quite a structure up there. I wonder. I'll be curious to see how that all gets put together. So, sounds like we need to take a road trip when they get started. There you go. Once sounds it's like, all up and running, sounds like a winner. There was a good article uh, out of the Wall Street Journal about mistakes home buyers and sellers make. Um, on the buying mistakes, uh, one of they had the five things. One was picking a so-so location. You know that <laughs> we're talking about good neighbors. You know, investigating in the neighborhood uh, is is very key. The fifth one, and speaking of neighborhoods, was you know people end up in homeowners associations that really don't realize didn't read the small print. Well, maybe maybe they read the small print, but they didn't realize. Implementing it was a lot harder <laughs> than than they thought. You know, oh, you have to have a certain color. Or you have to park your in the garage, and you know, what, whatever the case may be, they end up living in something that they it's not comfortable for them because it's so different from you know how they used to enjoy it. Uh, so both of those things really tie back into your neighborhood. But buying a house sight unseen, there was a lot of that going on, and a lot of uh, people waiving a home inspection. Both of those happened a lot, and that's that's that, the panicked buyer. It, it is, and that can be so expensive. Going into something that you know has an underlying problem, that you know it just took a few minutes to go find that. You, Julia, encountered that when they moved this last time and every time they'd put a bid on a home that was in Utah Gone. They, they, by the time they they'd see it go up for sale and before they even got their bid in somebody had bought it sight unseen so I guess they have so much money from over there that they can buy it and fix it right <laughs> well and, and they're and they're buying on a panic situation as well but we have seen indications that the, the searing white heat of the real estate market is cooling off just a little bit Whereas average days on market had been, you know, listed in hours. <laughs> now, now we're getting back up to several days. So it's cooling off just a little bit. But if you're in the market of buying, if you're trying to buy a house, um, I, I, here's a couple, a couple notices I would like you to have. Try and find out if the house is in the generation of flipped homes where so many homes were flipped during the housing bubble of 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. Many of those flipped homes were not done by licensed contractors. Um, they weren't done with a building permit. They weren't done to code. When you're looking at buying a home, proceed with caution. I would tell you to not compromise on location. It true, it is true, location, location, location. What for for whatever reason location is that important to you, I would tell you, make that steadfast. Uh, and don't forego the inspection. Uh, and get pre-qualified by a good lending institution like Galaxy Lending, so you can go out there and negotiate confidently. Don't panic buy it's going to cool off <laughs> and i'll 
I'll stake my life on it. I guarantee it. I'm not going to tell you when because I don't know, but I'm going to tell you it's going to cool off. Don't panic buy. So, some of the mistakes listed when selling the house is not planning for properly planning for capital gains tax, um, fudging facts and flaws. You know, <laughs> uh, it was painted five years ago. Uh, eight years might be more realistic. Uh, yeah, we had some roof repairs that you know, a small roof leak, and it was you know they had to replace drywall because it was so bad. You know, fudging. Yeah. Fudging the facts and flaws, that's one way that, uh, you know, we really like the home Zadas. As you detail all the work that you're doing, when you go to sell the home, you can show all the work that's been done. So the buyer knows exactly what kind of condition you're coming into. And then showing the house at its worst. Um, I don't know anybody that does that. <laughs> Most people are the reverse of that. They dump a ton of money into their home trying to make it nice and, and sellable. And then they get done and like, man, these are the things I don't I sh- want to move now. Yeah, yeah, these <laughs> the are all the things so I should have nice. done 10 years ago. And, and a lot of that is hard to recoup um, when you're, you're selling the home because it's – right now, you, you know, it, it's, it's a hot market. The house is probably going to sell no matter what. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. Well, most homes aren't on the market uh, in the country right now for more than 15 days. It's, it's, it, it is. And I think Bob, calling from Scottsdale, actually has a question along this line, the value of remodeling. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Rosie. How are you doing? Very well. Good. Yeah, I have a question. Looking to do some remodeling um, in our house here in Scottsdale. We're looking to do, uh, we have a three-bedroom, two-bath, and I'm looking to remodel the uh, bathrooms to uh, walk-ins and then also uh, redoing the kitchen. And I was just wondering... Would it be smart to uh, remodel both bathrooms as a walk-in? Would I lose some property value if I decide to sell down the road with two walk-ins versus one walk-in and one bath? I'm going to tell you my personal opinion is that for a long time, a lot of realtors would tell homeowners not having a bathtub, not having one bathtub in the house is a detriment. And I just don't think that's the case anymore. I think... Uh, it's almost as personal as what color are you going to paint the house. So I don't think not having a tub will decrease the value. Now, I will tell you this. There are buyers that will decrease the desirability of your house, but it won't decrease the marketability of your house. So if this is a home you plan on being in, in a, a, any significant amount of time, Oh, yeah, we've been in the house for a while, and we, we plan on, you know, probably continuing to live in it. And my wife uh, always tells me that uh, she wants to enjoy the house. So we might as well do what we want. Uh, somebody else will buy it and do whatever they want. So, um, But I was just, you know, at some point if we decide to sell the house, it's just wondering the uh, pros and cons. I, I think I'm with your wife. If it's a home y'all been in a while, you like the neighborhood, you're content on staying there, make it the way you want it and uh it's in a it it it, it, it it's in a solid neighborhood that's always going to hold its value just get the house the way you enjoy it now uh give me some major cross streets uh via linda and frank lloyd wright okay so the, the home is 20 years old or newer right 
yeah, it was built in the uh, late 80s. Oh, late 80s, so it's older than I thought. Okay, so you were a pioneer out there in that part of the country in the 80s. Uh, has the house been remodeled since it was built, or are all the appliances and plumbing fixtures 40 years old? Uh, probably all the um, plumbing fixtures are probably 40 years old. Um, okay. Backyards have been remodeled and stuff like that, but interior has not. Okay. You're, you, you're not, Bob, you're not going to go wrong updating that house. You're, you are in a very rock-solid neighborhood that's going to hold its value. It's always going to have a high degree of desirability. Put the house together the way you want it, the way you, you and your wife can enjoy it, and know You've made the smart decision. Here at Rosie on the House, a radio program for designed for Arizona homeowners. Uh, starting 2022, we'll, we'll actually be marking our 35th year on air when we hit the anniversary date of the broadcast. So we've been doing this for a good long while. Uh, we've been vetting contractors and putting them on our website, rosieonthehouse.com. Only the best of the best ever make it to that website, Referral Network. Our referral network has been voted the best contractor referral network for the last 13 years consecutively, undefeated title. So we do a lot all week long and on Saturday morning to do whatever we can to educate you, the Arizona homeowner, into the right product, the right process, and the right contractor to use or the right tools to use if you're trying to tackle it yourself. I went into home building and remodeling back in 1972. As soon as I got my driver's license, um, I was working construction. My dad was a doctor, and he said, you'll never make it as a doctor unless you stop fainting at the sight of blood. So I decided, oh, well, that saved me about eight years of college. I'll just go out and be a carpenter. And I've loved working with my hands ever since, meeting great people uh, who want their homes remodeled. It's what we do at Rosie on the House, try and become every Arizona homeowner's best friend. We were talking about all the people coming here and, you know, not knowing when the next slowdown will occur. How many people from Virginia, you think, are coming here now after the— Getting stuck on 95 for 30 hours. Oh, man. Stuck in a car 30 hours with children. Oh, that would, whew. And, you know, with children, it's made me go update our, you know, preparedness package. We've got different levels of preparedness for your home, but we also have one of always what to carry in your vehicle. Um, I put a deck of cards in that after this. Because, you know, you've got the time when you're sitting there stuck. Uh, to, to to keep them entertained. One of the great stories that came out of that unfortunate event was well, how the many... The guy that got stuck with a $600 Uber ticket? No. The, oh. The, uh, how many people said that we're actually out in the snow knocking on windshields? Do you need water? Do you need crackers? They were sharing. The few people that were prepared 
were sharing what they had. Now, you and I were in Washington, D.C. the last time that happened, and all I had to hand out was Arizona real estate cards. <laughs> you know, the one thing that they had an advantage of here that you wouldn't likely get in Arizona, because I don't know of a time anyone was ever stuck on the freeway in Arizona for 30 hours, but there have been accidents on I-10 and in dust storms where oh, yeah. six hours, 10 hours uh, was not uncommon. Somebody here, if you had a cup, you could just walk out, fill it up in the snow, bring it in, and when it melts, you have water. you stuck on I-10 by Picacho Peak. Black if candy. you don't have any water, <laughs> you, you, you can't go turn that sand into water. But you could turn that snow into water. So there, there was an advantage there that they had that you wouldn't if you got stuck on Arizona. So make sure you have it. Don't store that water in plastic. And make sure you, you turn it over every you know month or so. You don't want to keep contained water. Um, much much more than a, a month, you know. Make sure you refresh that. Use it to water a plant or something, and then fill it back up. If not, if, if it's nothing else, just taking a handkerchief and wetting your neck <laughs> with it. I mean, uh, you shouldn't be driving anywhere in Arizona without a couple gallons of water sitting in your car. That's for sure. Yeah. At the very least. So you can find that in the that entire article in the preparedness. It blows my mind how many. When you ride with somebody, how many people just don't have the basics, a jumper cable, a tire repair kit, uh, a, a tire iron? I mean, just – and, and they get stuck, and what do they do? Well, they call somebody to come help. You, you shouldn't have to do that for minor things. That's oh, a Boy Scout in you, Romy. Forget, forget jumper cables, man. I, I kicked it up a notch. I got a battery pack for Christmas. <laughs> All right, good. Oh, man, I, and it's, it's three in one. I got the cables to, for the battery. Air compressor to blow up a tire, LED light. I mean, this this thing's amazing. And once a month, I'll charge it up, make sure it's fine, and rock and roll. Make neighbors that way too. You make yeah. neighbors <laughs> that way for sure. And you who like to get out on the Arizona road, you know, you get back to a trailhead and you get. Yep. How'd you know that story? <laughs> <laughs> Those little jumpers are, are very valuable to have in the car. For sure. The guys that travel with me on the back roads of Arizona, they say, Rosie, your truck is like a rolling uh, O'Reilly's Autoport star and a, and, a, and a Walgreens drugstore. You have everything you need. I said, no, I got a lot of stuff, but everything I need, I probably left on the shelf at the garage. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're here every week. Our, our website is here every single day, rosieonthehouse.com. It's where you can go find contractors. You can find tips uh, on the right way to do things here in Arizona. We want to throw out a big welcome all month long to all the newcomers. If you know a newcomer, make sure they know Rosie on the House because we do things different here than where they came from, and we don't want to make it any expensive or crazy mistakes. 